Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Isn't life supposed to be fair? Aren't we all supposed to have equal slices of the pie? Um, aren't, we, aren't we entitled to that? We work as hard as the next guy next to us, or the guy across the street, or the guy across the country, and, and shouldn't, shouldn't all the slices be equal? Well, <laughs> as we've th- seen through this series, life isn't fair. What I hope we've seen is it was never designed to be fair. In, in God's eyes and, and what he wants us to see in, in light of that truth. Um, it isn't fair because God is righteous. It isn't fair because God is good. It isn't fair because he's merciful. It isn't fair because he's gracious. It isn't fair because God is love. It isn't fair last week because God is sovereign. And it isn't fair today because God is just. And I'm grateful that he's just instead of fair. Let's look at, if you will, from uh, Romans chapter 3. I want us to look at verses 21 to 26 together from Romans 3. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did, he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, four things I want to glean about a just God from this text today. The first is this. A just God sees no color or class. A just God sees no color or class. Look at 22 and 23 again. He says, This righteousness given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No difference between Jew and Gentile. The Jewish converts in the church at Rome, and it was, uh, most theologians think about a 50-50 split between Jew and Gentile. The Jewish converts in the church at Rome um, were, had kind of an elitist attitude when it came to their dealing with the Gentiles in the church because they saw themselves as superior to the Gentile because they had recognized and received Messiah. Messiah was promised to the Jew. They recognized that in Jesus had received Jesus by faith, were converted Jews, and somehow, because of the promise of Messiah to to the Jewish nation, saw themselves as a little better than everybody else. Know anybody like that? No, me neither. Um, But they they saw themselves as in in kind of an elite position. Um, What Paul's trying to get them to see, and us today to see, is that we're all on equal footing. You've heard this phrase, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all on equal footing. We're all made righteous or made right because of what Christ has done when it comes to Jesus. Now, 
we are either sometimes, in, I, I don't think it's intentional by us, but we are passively allowing a pagan culture to divide us by race, by color, by class, by socioeconomic status, by demographics, by career, by, ge by geography. We're allowing a pagan culture to divide us intentionally, and there's, there's, there's intent to that. I want you to see that, to divide us, because if we're divided, we can, we can, never then, we, we can then see each other as the enemy and never see Christ as a solution and the resolution to all this. Um, Paul is trying to get us to see and, and, and them to see as well that in this passage, God is saying, I'll have none of that. I'll have none of that. I have none of this division by the fact that you and Gentile, race, color, creed, uh, origin, whatever else. Look, listen to how Luke 16 puts this. Luke 16, 14 and 15 says, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight, calling out judgment to them in terms of their own self-righteousness, their own, their own sense of self-justice because of how they lived and how they uh, were in relation to the law. Now, there's been a lot of token talk in our nation around this idea of unity, and I say it's token because of this. This is my opinion, feel free to make it yours, but the only thing that's going to unite us, the only thing that's going to unite us is the blood of Jesus. If that doesn't and won't unite us, nothing else is going to. Why? Because I can, and I've seen this, I've witnessed this, I've seen more in common with a, with a, with a Nicaraguan unbeliever than I have my next door neighbor who's, who calls himself a believer. Now, something's wrong with that picture because the way we are united is <clears throat> by the blood of Christ. And so I can find myself in greater fellowship and greater communion and greater understanding of someone who lives in a third world nation a thousand miles away than often someone who's just down the street from me or just across the grocery store aisle from me or next in line at the bank from me. Why is that the case? Because there's an intentional idea to divide us as a nation. And I want you to see and understand that. And, and Jesus is saying here to us and to them, that's not the way I see things and not the way you should see others as well. Uh, th this, this text is pointing to the fact that all have sinned, that we're all, we're all sinners, we're all in need of a Savior. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he says here. We all need a Savior, the same Savior, the only Savior there is. And his name is not Republican. His name is not Democrat. Um, in fact, he doesn't live here. His name is Jesus, and he lives here. That's who he is and where he lives and where he abides. And, and, and the, the quicker we see that, um, the better we're going to be. A just God sees no color or class. Secondly, a just God always makes a way. Look at verse 24 again. He always makes a way. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Get this, we don't need Christ anymore because we, we uh, don't come from a spiritual heritage. We have no greater need for Christ because there is no spiritual depth in our, in our heritage, in our background, in our, in our legacy. Nor do we acquire more of him because that's true about us. We are, we are no more righteous because we have Christian parents, Christian grandparents, Christian great-grandparents, 
nor we don't need him more because we had none of that. What he's saying here is we're justified all freely by the same blood, by the same sacrifice, by the same sense of, of, of laying himself down that Christ did. Um, the, the enemy here is, is, is trying to use the differences in, in the church at Rome, and he's trying to do the same thing in our culture, uh, to, to, again, to divide us. And Paul is trying to get them and us to see that we're all sinners, we're all lost, we're all in need of a Savior. And if we can, as I shared with you several weeks ago, I think we'll more clearly see that if we can learn to get rid of the list and get rid of the scales. If we can get rid of the list that says, okay, I'm, I've done this and this and this and this for God, or get rid of the scales that, that says, if the good outweighs the bad, God's going to like me better, isn't he? If we can throw away the list and throw away the scales, we'll start to see this text in, in the light I think that God wants to see it and start to see others as well within that same light. He, he says we're all, we're all lost and all in need of a Savior. We're all, we're all toast, both literally and figuratively. We're, we're toast in the sense that we're hopeless apart from him. And if we don't meet him before judgment, we're going to be toast in hell. Those, it's going to be a toasty place. So we're all toast in the sense of, of, of how God sees us. Look at, look at verse, uh, verses 10 and 11 in this same chapter 3. Pop up there and look, look at that if you will. It's not on the screen, but I want you to see this. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and together have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Not even one, he says. However, before the foundations of the world, God had a plan. He had designed for all of this. He, he, he made a way. In fact, he is a way maker, and he offers his son as the way for us forward, offers his son as a sacrifice. It says here in, in this passage, freely by his grace, by the grace of the Father, sending the plan of the son, his son Jesus to die for your sins and my sins, and by the grace of, of his son Jesus, who, who took the cross upon himself to do that as an act of redemption, reaching down, as I've often said, to rescue us from the pit of sin, the pit of hell, for uh, ourselves and those around us as well. And because this redemption is complete, he not only redeems us for eternity, uh, he redeems us for today, for tomorrow, and every tomorrow after tomorrow. He, his, his redemption is complete. God always makes a way. A just God sees no color or class, and a just God always makes a way. Thirdly, a just God knows someone has to pay. A just God knows someone has to pay. Look at verse 25. He says there, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his, in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Now, because of their heritage, the Jews understood some things about atonement. They understood some things about sacrifice. They understood some things of, the, of what kind of sacrifice was worthy of God's attention and forgiveness and what kind of sacrifice wasn't. You can go back in, in the Old, in Old Testament, especially in, in Leviticus uh, and Deuteronomy, and see what animals were appropriate, what, what wasn't appropriate, what had to be cleaned off and cleaned up to, to be brought to him for sacrifice. And they got that. They understood this idea of, of, of what the sacrifice was supposed to look like, and they also understood what atonement was supposed to look like. I explained that to you a couple of weeks ago around this idea of atonement being a cover for us all around, over, under, and to every side. It seals us. The atoning work of Christ at the cross, his blood seals us 
around, before, behind, above, and below. Now, because that's true, someone has to pay for your sins and my sins. Someone has to atone for those. He says here, to demonstrate his justice. I love that phrase, to demonstrate his justice, how just he is. He sent his son to pay the price for our sins. Why is that the case? Because a just God sees one sin the same as he sees a thousand sins. And he remembers all of that. Unless and until the blood of Christ has been applied to them. And then Hebrews 8, 12 says he remembers them no more. You see, God, God's judgment is coming. Justice and judgment are very different things. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. But his justice is now. His judgment is coming uh, for us later. But when, when, his, when his blood is applied to our sin... He remembers them no more until that point, though. He remembers every sin we've ever committed. And we'll answer for those if we don't know him one of these days. So if by faith we know Jesus as Savior, he's on the hook for our sin. If we don't know him as Savior, we're on the hook for our own sin. And we'll have to answer to him one day and pay for that. The debt of every sin, past, present, and future, has been paid by him. And I'm glad that's true. Um, maybe four or five years ago, six, seven, I don't know, several years ago. I got a speeding ticket. I don't remember it was on Washington Piker Valley View. And Leanne had had some good luck in traffic court. She'd been, she'd been there before me. And just fill in the blanks, fill in the blanks however you want to there. She had had some good luck in, in getting, getting her, uh, getting pardoned and, and kind of shoveling through there. So, but she's pretty and nice, and, and I'm, not, I'm neither of those. So I try my luck. I go to traffic court. I, it's my, he calls my name. Is it, is it Ross? Is it Judge Ross? Is that the guy? Okay. Judge Ross calls me up, and, and I'm looking for, you know, atonement here. And he says, uh, Mr. Parker, looks like you like to drive a little fast. He's looking at a computer screen. And, and he says, looks like you like to drive a little fast. I said, what's Sometimes maybe I do, sir. I said, you know, I don't know if I run late that day or what. He said, no, I'm not talking about this one. I'm talking about the one in 1992, the one back in 84, the one back in... I said, oh, okay. So there's a little history here. Well, as we stand before him with, with his atonement applied to our sin, that's all gone. The past is all gone. If we don't, every one of those are going to be brought up and remembered and dealt with in, in, in judgment. I, I'm... I'm I'm drawn by the fact that someone has to pay for our sins, and someone did in Jesus. I hope you know him and, and have received him. This, uh, this, this idea, though, of his being unconcerned with our past has to do with his atonement of our past. And every sin future is forgiven if, as well if you know him. Uh, he's, he's looking to your future, not to your past. And we should be, too, looking to our future instead of our past. A just God sees no color or class. Just God always makes a way and knows someone has to pay. Finally, a just God looks to Jesus today and looks to us tomorrow. A just God looks to Jesus today and to us tomorrow. Look at verse 26. He says, he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who, who have faith in Jesus. To demonstrate his justice at the present time. We're living today in what theologians call the church age or the age of grace. That's what he's talking about in this, in, this, in this phrase here. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, in the age of the church, in the age of grace. 
the, the age where forgiveness is still uh, a, an option. Paul refers to, to what he's talking about there as, as, as in that phrase, using that phrase, meaning that we are in a season where grace and mercy are applied to our sin, and that's how God justifies us, by his grace and mercy. Uh, that, that season, though, is, there's a time limit to it. The rapture of the church, at the rapture of the church, that season is going to close forever. Listen to what Romans 14 says. As it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. So then we will all give an account of ourselves to God. It's coming a day of judgment where we'll stand before God and give an account of what we've done, what we haven't done, what we, our, our, the sins we've committed, the sins we have omitted, and what we've done with, the more, the more important thing is what we've done with Jesus and whether we, we have accepted him as our savior or rejected him. And that will make all the difference in the world, all the difference in our eternity. God's justice today is full of mercy. It's full of grace. It's atoned for. It's forgiven because of the death of Jesus on the cross. The justice at the day of judgment, though, is going to be a very different picture. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to seem very unfair. It's going to seem very harsh. But it will be nonetheless true and will prob probably, in essence, be God at his most fair. When he looks at us in light of the fact of whether our name is in the book of life, or whether it isn't. It either is or it isn't. We know him or we don't. Um, it's, it is, as I say, it may, it may seem unfair, but we're in a season where we can take full advantage of his mercy and full advantage of his grace in the church age, in the age of, in the age of grace. Um, I wonder, though, if that's important to us, important to our families, important to people we work with, important to neighbors, important to friends that we've had relationship with, year, uh, relationship with for years and don't know about their faith. Don't know about where they stand with God. Uh, there's, there's coming a day when that door of opportunity closes forever. And it'll never be opened again. I want you to see the harshness of that today because um, given the choice between a fair God and a just one, choose the just one. Because justice today in this season says, I forgive you. And I remember your sins no more. Justice, when this season is closed, looks like you're lost, your name's not in the book of life, and you're bound for eternity in a place called hell where the worm never dies uh, and the fire is not quenched. Um, if that seems a little harsh, it's intentional because this season, this door, when it closes, it's going to be closed forever. Today's justice and tomorrow's judgment are very different things, but both of those things are eternal. Both of those situations are eternal. The justice we've received today from him by his grace is eternal. The judgment we'll receive from him tomorrow is eternal. The only, the only option is, is where we stand in time. And what have we done with Jesus who's called the Christ, the scripture says. So I want to ask you today, do you know him? Not do you know about him? Not do you know some songs that have even maybe been, been in church all your life, uh, uh, been, you know, been, been encouraged to serve God. But you, do you know him personally? Has there been a time, as I said earlier, we don't need God anymore because we don't have a spiritual heritage and we don't acquire him anymore because we do. Has there been a point in time where I've been convicted of my sin and realized I'm lost? Um, it's, it's hard to get somebody to Jesus until they realize they're lost. 
And it's hard for somebody to find themselves as lost if they've grown up in church all their life. And so I want you to see today that it has nothing to do with church or your parents or your grandparents. But in relationship with Christ, I've realized I'm lost. I've prayed and invited him into my heart as my Savior. I've given my life, my future over to him, and I'm his child because of the promises in his word, because I know I'm a sinner for all of sin. And I know I need a Savior, and it's Jesus. And I've received him in my heart. Has that been true for you? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you know him personally? Or do you just know about him? Please don't leave this place today without knowing him, knowing him personally. Um, because both of these situations, as I said, are eternal. We are forever saved or we are forever lost. And there's a season today to, 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 to receive him as our Savior and Lord. Don't miss that. Whatever you do, make sure your kids don't miss it. Make sure your, your friends don't miss it. Make sure family members that may be lost and without Christ don't miss it. Because once that door closes, it's closed forever. Let's pray. Father, here we find ourselves in the age of grace. In the age where your mercy justifies our sin because of what you've done for us at the cross. Would we see your blood, your shed blood for us as an atoning, as a covering for us that none of us deserve, none of us can earn, none of us can buy, but because of what you've done at the cross, it's ours by the promise of your word. You've atoned for our sins. They're remembered no more. They're covered, and the Father never sees them again. If we're here today without that truth being applied to our life because we've never realized we're lost and we've never realized our need for Jesus, would you show us that today? Would your Holy Spirit find the freedom in this room and in every heart here to reveal to us our, our need for Jesus, our lostness? And would we by faith today come to receive you as Savior and Lord, to pray in our hearts, Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. I trust you as my Savior. Give my life, my future, my eternity, all that I have and am or hope to be to you. If that's never been done, would we do that today before we leave this place? And would we have the courage to leave here knowing we've experienced your grace, we've experienced your mercy, and we are indeed, indeed justified. We are, we are made right. We are made righteous in your eyes. So today, I pray that you have the freedom to noodle around every heart, to pierce every mind, with our need for you or our need to tell others about you, one or the other. There's probably, there's probably most of us have family members in this room that don't know Jesus. And there's an opportunity, there's a window here that's open. It's not going to be open forever. Help us to see it and seize it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ. 